Welcome to The Business of Defense, sponsored by ASMC on Federal News Network. Here's today's moderator, Rich Brady. Welcome, and thanks for joining us again. I'm Rich Brady, CEO at the American Society of Military Controllers, and your host on The Business of Defense, sponsored by ASMC on Federal News Network. ASMC is a nonprofit professional association committed to promoting the education, training, and certification of the defense financial management workforce, driving financial transformation in the defense sector, and upholding the highest ethical and professional standards. And we are excited to kick off our second season of the Business of Defense podcast, where we hear directly from business leaders on how they are creating value for their companies and their federal customers. My guest today is R.J. Blake, CEO and founder of the Blake Wilson Group. The Blake Wilson Group is a service-disabled, veteran-owned small business and Small Business Administration 8A program participant that provides professional services, technology solutions, and operations support services in the defense, intelligence, and federal sectors. A CPA firm at heart, the Blake Wilson Group started nearly 10 years ago working primarily as a subcontractor on intelligence community contracts. Today, they are the prime on a majority of their contracts and have earned a place in the Inc. 5000's Vet 100 list of fastest growing veteran-owned private companies in the United States. I'm excited to have RJ on the show today to talk about how he got here, how, what he is working on today, and where he is taking Blake Wilson Group in the future. RJ, welcome to the show. Thanks, Rich. Let's start, uh, let's start out by how you got here. Uh, take us back 10 years ago to the founding of uh, the Blake Wilson Group. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that decision? So 10 years ago, I was working at Deloitte. Before that, I was at KPMG. Um, and before that, I was in the Army as a warfighter, you know, ground pounder kicking indoors and whatnot. And um, I always had an entrepreneurial itch. Uh, I didn't know how to spell the word entrepreneur at the time, um, but later realized through some mentors that I was an entrepreneur. I had leadership uh, skills from my days in combat and in the Army. And um, frankly, I thought I could do it better than, than you know, what I had seen in the big four in my time there uh, to create something special. So not to, to point fingers at, at the big companies, they're great. I had a great time, uh, learned a lot. And in fact, one of those big four gave me the opportunity 10 years ago to be a subcontractor to them and really get Blake Wilson Group started. Uh, so stars aligned about 10 years ago. Um, times were tough. I had, uh, after filing the LLC, I had $35 to my name. You know, so left uh, Deloitte on a Friday, started Blake Wilson Group on a Monday, was able to negotiate payment terms where it was kind of just moving from paycheck to paycheck, um, but did that for a year, bootstrapped it. And um, today, you know, we're pushing 100 people, but um, it was certainly a wild time to, to start a company, to say the least. Uh, a second kid, two kids in diapers, one just out of the NICU, and, uh, you know, not a lot of money. So it was completely bootstrapped and kind of the American dream, but uh, glad that we made it so far. So, so you started out with a, a fair amount of experience, uh, both leadership mm -hmm. experience in the Army. Uh, you had some technical experience working uh, with some big four firms. Yeah. Uh, but uh, lacking some financial resources and uh, a lot going on at home, uh, that's taking on a lot of risk uh, yeah. to start a business. Can you, can you talk a little bit about that risk tolerance level? Um, yeah, so you know, I thought about that risk. I think um, for me, sort of the intestinal fortitude developed in combat. You know, when you have nothing to lose, you're just gonna trust yourself and your instincts and, and drive forward. I think it's also being a little strategic and smart in that I was able to negotiate payment terms and say, hey, I'll, I'll shave my rate down uh, if, if you as a big, me being a subcontractor, 
uh, will give us favorable payment terms. So uh, billable twice a month, let's say, maybe net 15. And we've done that to some of the smalls that are 10 years behind us now. Um, you know, it's part of the American dream. I think, you know, small business really, when small businesses are strong in America, America's strong, right? The, the middle gets stronger and that's uh, what they say is, you know, best and we've seen it, so. And you were a service-disabled veteran-owned small business and a small business association 8A yes. program participant from the beginning. Can you talk a little bit about those programs and maybe what, what are some of the advantages those gave you early on? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so the service-disabled vet status, when I first started out, I had no idea what that was. Some mentors along the way nudged me and said, wait a minute, you have leadership experience. Uh, I had some bumps and bruises in Afghanistan, so you don't have to have been injured in combat to be a service-disabled vet. It's just if you have a service rating, even I believe a 0% and above, but you have a rating from the Veterans Affairs, you can achieve uh, SDVSB status. And um, that and 8A, they're a little different, but both are really, I see as a license to hunt, right? So it really helps a business start reduce some of those barriers to entry and help win some contracts over time. Um, so SDVSB and 8A both allow sole source capability, but it's really only seen in the 8A side where um, a contract authority can can issue a contract without competing it. It can be direct award sole source. So it's convenient for the government, especially when they're nearing the end of the year and through protests, maybe they have some use there, lose it money and they have a need um, and it's below 4.5 million, they can just issue that pretty quickly. We've seen it as, as quick as probably a day overnight when we're <laughs> nearing the end and we're trying to scramble to, to, to provide them some good service. Um, and then SDVSB is, there isn't that sole source capability, but the same is true, you know, Congress and SBA and, and the government have defined certain set aside requirements where they wanna see maybe 3% of all federal dollars mm -hmm. to these uh, set aside designations to include women owned and, and hub zone and others. I think some of those have been increasing, you know, towards the 5%, I think we'll see. Uh, so it's really a license to hunt. Now, uh, on the other side of that, are there some disadvantages uh, or at some point in time as you grow, uh, do you possibly lose that status? And, and are there yes. challenges there in that transition phase? Yeah, yeah, certainly. So um, you can size out. So there, there are size standards that they set by industry code. So if you're in management consulting or tech, there are certain uh, set aside, um, or sorry, small business categories by revenue stream, right? So um, I think if you're over 20 to 30 million, you're gonna start sizing out as a small business and be considered a large, which is kind of this middle, right? We call it no man's land. There's a book Doug Tatum wrote, um, which, which, which is a really good book. In fact, I was, meeting with him last weekend and picking his brain on some of this stuff. But it's kind of where, as a small business, you become this gazelle and, and, you, and you take off. And again, it's a license to hunt. You're able to win contracts a little bit easier, but then you need to start building your infrastructure, right? And that's where things go wrong if you don't, if you haven't figured out how throwing the spaghetti at the wall, really what sticks and how to wash, rinse, repeat and develop your infrastructure, things can kind of go south. And you see a lot of small businesses burn out, fizz out. Um, and so, when you if 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 you're if you get kind of I call get drunk on the SDVSB and 8A game uh, as you size out you know you, you won't be prepared to go compete against the the Fortune 500 companies and the Big Four and so you have to have a plan and and as you get there years before you think you're going to grow out of that status you have to have a plan 
and it, it's not easy. It, it's certainly difficult. Is that where the Blake Wilson Group is today? I mean, you're looking at the big yeah. picture. You've been at this about 10 years. You've yeah. had initial strategy. It's grown. It's worked for you. Yeah. Are you in that uh, transition phase now, that no man's <laughs> land? Uh, yes. Trying to cross yes, the chasm? Yes, we are. Yeah, that's, that's why uh, I had kind of uh, begged in, in, well, I wouldn't say I begged. Doug Tatum is, is very kind with his time and was, you know, allowed me to come down there and pick his brain. And, you know, we've built a board of advisors uh, for folks who have been executives that have been here and done that um, so that we could be strategic, right? It's, it's about moving from that tactical level to the strategic level so that we can be prepared um, to still provide good service to, to, to the government and to the DOD and the intelligence community um, as we grow so that our burdens and problems don't become theirs, right? And so we can continue to provide that great service. Um, it's really about the infrastructure, I would say, right? And in, in finding leaders that can lead other leaders and, and um, the infrastructure. And there's so many challenges, right? Recruiting and all these other things that come about and you have to have a plan in that infrastructure and you have to build it uh, before you're there. Right. Uh, you can't scramble last minute. And so sometimes it's just a, uh, you're at a fork in the road and it's which decision do I make? And there isn't really a right decision. I think the problems that come to me now as a CEO are, they're difficult. And there really isn't a, a you know, before it was, it was a lot clearer of, okay, we need to go right, not left or, or vice versa. And now it's, you know, a little bit more of a risk and a gamble, but, but trying to get the right people, you know, set the vision, the values, uh, and, and make sure we're all rowing in the same direction towards that. So it's kind of a classic business case, right? Uh, you hear about yeah. where companies uh, get some early success, they grow very quickly. Yeah. Uh, they're not able to maintain quality. It starts to affect uh, the customers. Uh, and so it sounds like you're trying to get ahead of that. Yes. Putting in place, as you mentioned, yeah. the board of advisors, making sure you got the right team uh, in place to take you to the next level. Yeah. You know, how, can you talk a little bit about that, you know, the, the talent management piece and getting the right people there? Because yeah. sometimes, as we've talked, uh, you know, the people that got you to this point aren't necessarily the people that you're going to need to take you to the next level. Yeah. yeah, it's really tough. I mean, there have been, so I love people, first of all. I'm a people person, you know, even in my days in, in the military and, you know, since I was a kid, you know, I fill my cup up being around people and, and connecting. And so that's hard, right? When, when certain people just, they did everything right to that point. They didn't do anything wrong and they're great people. It's just maybe when you get past 50, you get past 100, they're not the right leader in that space anymore. You, you don't wanna necessarily demote them or give them a boss. And, and, and so sometimes it's, it's best to part ways, but I think um, just having those upfront metrics for what success looks and trying to define that allows that to, you, you kind of remove that personal aspect a little bit and have those conversations up front like hey even myself as the ceo if at a certain point i'm not the right ceo i will step to the side and and do what's right for our people and for the clients you know because that that's what matters most i think kind of taking that servant leadership approach if if all of the leaders including myself take that approach i think it'll, it'll be easy to do the right thing but it's certainly hard. I mean, I've shed tears uh, myself over these things and, and uh, it, it's been certainly difficult. Uh, but from the talent management aspect, it's, it's about getting more critical, especially for our managers and above. We recently um, um, signed up with a learning management platform so that we can standardize and set the, the learning and path to promotion kind of learning goals and certification requirements at every stage from the ground up, from associates and consultants all the way up to directors and VPs and whatnot. 
And um, I think having the recruiting arm, we now have three recruiters and we also have outsourced recruiters. So that's kind of the, the machine that, that gets it right up front. And it's a matter of just really defining the right assessments and behavior exams uh, and, and making sure, I mean, our assessment exam for managers and above is like 90 minutes. Wow. So people have to be serious about wanting to come to Blake Wilson Group. Uh, we've seen some folks like, nah, I, I'm not interested. I don't want to work that hard to, to, to come on board. And, and that's fine. We don't want those people because we're not a fly-by-night. We're not lowest cost. We don't want to be in this commoditized this is kind of you know, badge flip staffing business, which I don't judge in any way, but that's just not us, right? So um, we're, we're trying to maintain that best value, uh, cutting-edge solutions, and, and that takes really talented people. And... They're hard to find. So you know who you are and you know what, uh, what you do well. Um, and no doubt these are hard decisions that yes. uh, you have to make as, yes. a, as a leader, but that's why you're in the seat. Uh, and we don't want you to step aside uh, too soon. <laughs> Absolutely not. You are listening to The Business of Defense with our guest, R.J. Blake from the Blake Wilson Group. We'll be right back. The U.S. defense industry is large, complex, and competitive. It is also lucrative for those companies able to navigate it successfully. The American Society of Military Comptrollers helps bridge the gap between the boardroom and the battlefield while supporting transformation in the defense sector. The Business of Defense podcast brings you inside the companies working to achieve this directly from the business leaders and to understand how they create value for their companies and their customers. For more information on ASMC, visit asmconline.org. Welcome back to the Business of Defense, sponsored by ASMC on Federal News Network. I'm talking with R.J. Blake, CEO and founder of the Blake Wilson Group. The Blake Wilson Group is made up of a team of experienced and credentialed professionals driven by their core values of integrity, leadership, dependability, diversity, grit, and service to others. These values extend beyond the office space as their belief in positively impacting their surrounding communities is paramount to their success. RJ, let's talk a little bit uh, about uh, how you got into this business. You've got a really interesting background, having served in the uh, the Army, uh, and then you got your CPA, uh, yeah. which isn't a, a kind of a natural transition yeah. for most uh, people who, who serve in, in the infantry. Uh, can you talk a little bit about uh, that? Yeah, yeah. First, I'll just say that my uh, friends still joke with me uh, that are recently retiring or, or still in uh, the movie the accountant came out with Ben Affleck, and that didn't <laughs> didn't help me out very much. They're like, yeah, sure, you became an accountant. But no, honestly, I really did, uh, became a CPA. But I think I really have to trace that back to um, my entrepreneurial roots, which, uh, you know, started as an eight-year-old. Um, we grew up a little disadvantaged, low income, and so those hard times kind of created this uh, resourceful kid, as I like to think of myself, at, at eight years old. and doing anything from, from selling golf balls that landed in the pond to selling baseball cards to the mid-90s when eBay came out and it was like selling motorcycles and cars and everything else. And so I realized I could be resourceful. And um, then that just expanded as I joined the Army at, at 18. I first joined the Reserves, but 9-11 happened. And so I left college, put college on hold and, and went active duty, ended up at 10th Mountain Light Infantry. Um, and we were basically battalion reconnaissance, so we would go out and kind of sneak and peek uh, on the enemy counterinsurgency operations and things like that, uh, which I loved. Um, you know, it was definitely hard. There, there's a movie called The Outpost, a book Jake Tapper wrote. We were kind of the first part of that story, and so things were tough. You know, you lose uh, men and you get hurt, bumps and bruises. 
uh, you know, going without water and showers and kind of living this austere life. But I think it really strips away the ego and, and allows you to know who you are as a person in this world and uh, what really matters from a value standpoint. And more importantly than anything, I saw really good leadership. And so I wake up every day thankful uh, for that leadership. And in fact, uh, our, our colonel at the time was killed out there in Afghanistan, uh, Colonel Fenty, and he was just a servant leader through and through. So I saw that and I clung to that and thought, hey, I'm gonna be that when I grow up. And so that, that's kind of what leads me to today. Uh, being a CEO of Blake Wilson Group, I take those things, right? That leader eat, leaders eat last mentality from the Army, and, and I'm sure all military branches are like that. Um, I take pride in that, you know, just to be able to put myself at the bottom of an org chart and serve those. Uh, you know, I take great pleasure in that and being able to serve. So you worked very much at the tactical level uh, mm -hmm. when you were in the Army, uh, and now you advise and work with the, the services of your customers, really at the strategic level. Yeah. You know, how do you, how do you bridge those two gaps? I mean, is there, yeah. is there an advantage that you have, you know, having seen things really at that tactical level that help serve you well in understanding your customers at the higher levels? Yeah, I think it's about taking that practical approach. So it's interesting, you know, I got out and I got my CPA, went to the, to the Smith School for Business, and uh, got the CPA, went to KPMG, did federal financial statement audits, and then went over and did the management consulting advisory side on Deloitte, both in DOD, intelligence, and, and some civilian agencies. And um, I, was, I was finding myself kind of referring back to being a warfighter, right? We had a four-wheeler in Afghanistan. Did I sign a hand receipt for that when it <laughs> fell off the cliff? It was like, uh, you know, so realizing what will actually work from a solution standpoint at that strategic level to the tactical and kind of bridging those gaps where, you know, I think you often find, let's say it's the engineer, you know, in the lab building something and then the, the technician goes, that's never gonna work. You know, I kind of had that unique perspective, I think, where I could think, you know, hey, is that gonna work at the ground? You know, from the supply chain and logistics aspects and all the processes and procedures, is this gonna flow up and, and work and kind of, taking that step back and, and being a different accountant in the room, because I think you get a bunch of CPs in the room, it's all, here's the accounting standard, you must do this and check this box, but then trying to take a different outside, little more abstract approach to that, I think has been very beneficial for me and, and the customers that we've served, and, and I'm not the only one now, right? This Blake Wilson Group is not uh, just me anymore, it's much more and, and much smarter people than I uh, today at Blake Wilson Group. I think the Army may be coming after you with a, a missing gear statement after this airs, uh, <laughs> but, but that's, beside that, yeah. <laughs> that's beside the point. Uh, let's talk about your people a little bit, uh, yeah. you know, the culture you're trying to create yeah. there. You've got your yeah. core values. I know you're, yeah. uh, you're big into community service. Uh, can you talk about uh, that and, and how that uh, really creates value for your yeah. organization? Yeah, so you'll see on our website, Empower Our People, Improve a Nation. That means so much. So uh, a couple years ago when I realized you know, hey, we're not a fly-by-night, we're, we're a legitimate company, we, we've proved to ourselves we can win, we can staff, we can get good people, and we can do great work. Um, I realized that we needed to look at what the best and brightest was in Blake Wilson Group and define that value set and that vision, not off of me anymore, but off of the group. And, and so it, it, it was still based on the values that we had in servant leadership, so service to others, leadership, uh, dependability, diversity, integrity, and grit, right? So some of those values were added a couple years ago based on the people and the brightest and, and those that really made a difference uh, in the company. Um, and then empower our people is about, you know, empowering our people first in Blake Wilson Group, 
but people also includes our teaming partners as well as our customers, right? So it's this mindset of taking the titles and hats off and just going, you know, person to person and, you know, kind of the Maslow's approach uh, to employees and customers and, and thinking of, you know, what are those needs, those hierarchy of needs and trying to fulfill those uh, as, a, as a group and as a team. Um, and, and that vision to, to grow, we, we, I want to be very clear, we are deliberate and intentional in growth, but the reason we want to grow is not so leaders can drive around in a Lamborghini, it's so we can do really good work uh, for DOD, the IC, and impact our communities to the left and right. You know, I grew up as an at-risk youth, um, and I had a few people in my life that took time to, to mentor and say, hey, you know, you, you can do this. There's this American dream, this ability to bootstrap, and, and I did that, and I want others to be able to do that. Um, but I also want more than just what my interests are, but also my people's interests. So we, we provide community service hours. Um, we do donations. We want to eventually have a scholarship. Those things cost time and money, and you can't do that unless you grow. So that's really the, the uh, desire to grow. And then through that, we can truly empower our people and make a difference in the nation to those to our left and our right. I mean... Um, it's a lot to think a small business can, can make an impact, but I think we pack a pretty good punch and, and we certainly impact our community positively. Yeah, one of your uh, core values also you mentioned is grit. And uh, a lot of people say in this, in this business, in the GovCon space, uh, you've got to have a lot of grit, uh, resilience, perseverance, whatever you want yes. to call it, dealing with yeah. some federal customers and yeah. some of the bureaucracy uh, surrounding that. Can you talk yeah. a little bit about some of the challenges uh, uh, you see in the federal sector some of the challenges that particularly small businesses run into. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's tough, especially in the cleared space um, where, you know, since COVID, a lot of jobs opened up remote or hybrid. And so everyone ran to that and we're struggling to keep people in the skiffs and, and, and things like that. So it got a lot harder. Um, I think there's also this where we find it difficult is, you know, it's deliverables-based contracts that are fixed price, and they shouldn't be based on the number of FTEs. We've taken hits at times where we had to put maybe six FTEs on a project that really we priced for four. We can't charge the government more, right? But sometimes when we realize we can do it with two or three and add technology and automation, um, they get upset. And I get it. The program folks are used to seeing people in seats, I think we need it. We have to get away from that. Um, I, I see kind of, you know, the the current generation in leadership positions. They call the baby boomer generation. There's more of them than the next generation. And so as they retire and leave, there's going to be this gap and less people. And what are we going to do? Uh, it's going to have to be a mix of technology and 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 people. And we're going to have to get away from that that viewpoint of I want to see five butts in a seat, right? And 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 hey, well. Let's just get the deliverable done. Let's sh let let us give us a chance to show you what we can do, um, and and we're taking the risk uh, from that standpoint. But that's been a challenge and something I think the government leaders and in, in procurement and program operations need to think critically on, and you know maybe look more at performance and KPI metrics and deliverables to ensure they're getting their money's worth from their contractors. You've mentioned uh, mentors a number of times. Uh, you know, early, you know, early life, uh, early in your army career. Yeah. Uh, now you're putting together a board of advisors. How important are mentors? Uh, you know, even at this stage uh, for people, and are you giving back in that sense as well? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I couldn't have done it without mentors that that lifted me up to where I am today. 
you know, at each stage. Um, most of them had that theme of, hey, I'm willing to help you if you're willing to help yourself. So I certainly take that and, and you know, charity starts at home. So I do the same thing with my, my children and my nieces and nephews, and uh, some of them are serving in the, in the military today. And um, it's just a joy to see, uh, you know, those protégés or mentees uh, thrive with that. Um, but certainly, you know, since I guess really middle school, I, I think was when I realized, wow, people actually want to help. And, and, and I can just, if I have the courage to ask for help, the help will be there. Now I have to work hard. That was made clear early on. Um, but at every stage, I, I'm, I'm always kind of seeking who's five or 10 or 15 or 20 years ahead of me, and, and can I pick their brain? You know, and, and interestingly enough, a lot of times I end up finding ways that I can help them too, right? You want it to be a two-way street, and, and I find that, that that's just feels better all the way around. Um, but as in the last five years, six years, I realized, hey, I'm in a position where I can help as well. So um, I support the American Corporate Partners as a citizen mentor, um, and that's something where I had called them and uh, said, hey, you know, I'm not with a big Fortune 500 company. I started my own business, but I transitioned from the military. I know what it's like if you ever have any any mentees or protégés that, that want to go into business, you know, maybe send them my way if you think I'd be a good fit. And a, a month or two went by and they called me and said, hey, we started this new program that, that works for that, and, you know, we'll start sending you folks. So probably one or two a year I'm able to, to mentor, and it's just, it's been a privilege to see what some of these transitioning veterans uh, can do, and, and you know, so it's, it's a certainly a joy. So where will, uh, where will RJ be, and where will the Blake Wilson Group be in five years from now? Uh, hopefully at the top of the mountain, uh, <laughs> reaching the summit. So um, just in a position of strength to continue to empower our people, to give back more to the communities by then, we want to have a community care program, not not stealing from Veterans Affairs there, but uh, a, a program that can do more from scholarships and help uh, these affinity groups. So we started a, a veterans affinity group. We're going to start other groups that are that are based on the passions of our people to kind of meet that that piece of the Maslow's kind of hierarchy of needs of our people, our employees, and uh, allow them to give back to their communities. So. In five years from now, we hope to have a, a set program for that, scholarships and, and things like that, but also just growing to a strength that we can continue to provide uh, the federal government with a lot more of what we can do um, and, and, and just knock it out of the park. Well, we look forward to having you back sooner than five years to see how you're doing. Absolutely. Thanks, Rich. I'd like to thank today's guest, R.J. Blake, CEO and founder of the Blake Wilson Group, for his insights into Blake Wilson's strategy, structure, and culture which have enabled them to expand their client base and grow their service offerings year over year in the highly competitive government contracting space. Watch the Business of Defense again next month, where we bring you inside the companies working to drive transformation in the defense sector, to hear directly from their business leaders, and to understand how they create value for their companies and their customers. I'm Rich Brady, CEO of the American Society of Military Comptrollers, and I thank you again for joining us. You are listening to Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search ASMC. Thank you for listening to The Business of Defense, sponsored by ASMC on Federal News Network. 
The U.S. defense industry is large, complex, and competitive. It is also lucrative for those companies able to navigate it successfully. The American Society of Military Comptrollers helps bridge the gap between the boardroom and the battlefield while supporting transformation in the defense sector. The Business of Defense podcast brings you inside the companies working to achieve this directly from the business leaders and to understand how they create value for their companies and their customers. For more information on ASMC, visit asmconline.org.